But a growth mindset is the focus on the process. So it would be the focus on how did I get to that answer, wrong or right? How did I get there? What process improvement do I need to create? What do I need to learn newly? You're listening to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast, the only leadership podcast run by undergraduate students dedicated to helping undergraduate students lead in diverse fields. From people in diplomacy to entertainment, from CEOs to student leaders, we feature people from all walks of life. It's all part of the mission. Here at the Piscina Leadership Institute, we make leaders better. Welcome to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast. My name is Kayla Engel and I'll be your host today. Today, we welcome Ms. Grace Kalpas as our guest. Ms. Kalpas is a leadership and executive coach who has had a multitude of professions throughout her leadership journey. She was a registered nurse for 20 years, a lobbyist for the state of Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, involved in the Peace Corps and so much more. Today, Ms. Kalpas is the owner of the company Between the Words, where she works with universities and businesses around the nation to inspire students and leaders to improve their emotional intelligence skills and leadership capabilities. She has worked with university leadership programs everywhere from Cornell to the Bucino Leadership Institute located here at Seton Hall. Ms. Kalpas, welcome to the podcast. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, of course, our pleasure. So going from an RN for 20 years to a leadership coach is a drastic change. So what kind of inspired you to change directions and follow this new path? So you mentioned earlier in your introduction that I've had a lot of careers <laughs> along my quote leadership path. So yeah, I've done a lot. I started out in nursing. Um, I took a stint in the Peace Corps and then I worked for state government and all the way along the way. Um, it's really for me just been about seeking knowledge and different experiences. I believe that life is about experience and I wanted to have a lot of experiences in my life. So that's one thing. But the other is that I have a very strong belief in service. So I've been in service one way or another my whole life. And the journey from nursing to lobbying to coaching was really being in physical service, so helping people in their healthcare, physical service, and then also intellectual spirit service, excuse me, intellectual service, which would be developing laws and lobbying for those laws. And the other is spiritual. So for me, coaching is a spiritual service. I'm really, as a coach, I'm here and present and very uh, much interested in listening to the core of who somebody is. Yeah, no, that's so amazing how you're able to like combine all those aspects of like, I know in health class, you learn about like, the health triangle, like social, spiritual, physical, and really combine them to your work. And I know when I was like researching, you've done a lot of work with companies and using your skills to aid like professionals with their careers and like cultivate positive work environments. So why did you want to work with college students who are definitely not professionals and were like barely entering adulthood? Well, I work with a range. So even though I have contracts that are literally signed with universities, my clientele ranges all the way from freshmen to PhD students, uh, mid-level, um, mid-level executive visionary folks yeah, who are in the working world, who have quite a bit of experience. Um, I have some EMBA students um, and corporate clients. And so I, I definitely have a wide flexibility amongst my clients. So it's not just university students, but to answer your question, working with particularly undergraduate and master's level students, 
I enjoy because man, if I could have had this service when I was in college, I really think it would have impacted me dramatically as a person. And I feel that coaching really provides for students way to very quickly gain some self-confidence and understand what life is about rather than trying to guess and figure it out on their own. Coaching provides quite a bit of support for them to understand themselves and, and what they want to do in life. Yeah, no, that's amazing because I know as a college student, I barely know what I want to do in life yet. And I'm just kind of figuring it out along the way. So to have that guidance is like so such an amazing opportunity that we have here at the Institute. And you brought up idea of my people not really feeling sure of themselves and building that confidence. So I know a huge problem that affects almost like every person, but college students especially is imposter syndrome, you know, which is feeling like your achievements are never good enough. You don't belong. Overall feeling like you're living someone else's life that you don't really deserve. So what steps do you take to kind of like teach others to combat imposter syndrome? And do you think it is possible to totally overcome it? That's a great question. <laughs> um, the first thing I, I want to do is address that it's not any more prevalent amongst college students than anywhere else. And I think that's a huge thing that people need to understand that imposter syndrome is an epidemic. And I say that, those are kind of disease phrases, but I say that because it is damaging to ourselves and it really impacts our ability to provide value in any given situation. And I'm coaching a bunch of staff right now and the consistent theme is assertiveness, like the ability to be effectively assertive, which often has roots in imposter syndrome. So in terms of steps and whether or not it can be overcome, my biggest, I guess, lesson for myself around imposter syndrome, because I certainly have it as well, is that I don't have to believe the thoughts in my head. Like there's nothing inherently true about the thoughts that you think. I see the look on your face. You're like, hmm, yeah, I know. I, I, I've never really thought of that before. Cause I feel like we always like hear that thought in our head. That's like tearing us down and like um, wanting us to like be something other than ourselves. And I guess I've never really thought of myself. Like we don't actually have to listen to it. It's just there for us. Yeah. So that voice is often created um, by cultural expectations, upbringing, familial expectations. And of course, like if you get into university, you're going to, especially as a freshman, you're going to feel like, am I good enough to be here? Am I smart enough to be here? So situations also can drive it when you feel like you're not confident. So there's a lot that feeds into imposter syndrome and we all are dealing with it no matter what age you are. And it doesn't necessarily quote, go away. I think what is transformative is one, not believing it and not believing it comes from proving it wrong, which means taking action anyway to prove yourself wrong. That's the strongest way to begin to, to build a muscle of not listening to the garbage in your head is take that risk. And number two is building competency. So where you are, if you're a nursing student or an engineering student, you're in that process of building competency and you will be for quite some time. And you need to acknowledge that's what's going on. You're building competency, you're learning. If you expect yourself to be competent right now, you're living in some la la weird world because it's just not possible. It's literally impossible. So ease up on yourself. <laughs> and over time, you'll gain that competency and you'll feel a lot 
more confident in what you have to share and what value you have. So being open to learning and having a growth mindset is another way to overcome that experience of imposter syndrome. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. Because I know that's a lot of things that even myself, like going into college, I struggled with. And everyone I talk to, like not even college students also, like it's like in the back of our head. And like now it's imposter syndrome is more of like a cultural norm that we're seeing throughout America. And the way you worded as an epidemic is so amazing because I feel like it's very like not talked about enough, which is really awesome. And I know you mentioned, you know, throwing away like the garbage in our heads and like kind of accepting the idea of reality. So what are your thoughts on like the word perfect and its realisticness? Because I know it really like binds like a lot of people trying to be the perfect student, the perfect boss, perfect person that has their life together. So do you think it's like an actual attainable goal? No. (laughs) The short answer is no. Yeah. And the main reason why it's not attainable is because you have most likely no idea what the definition of perfect is. So even if you're trying to meet it against what? Yeah, no, you're right. I guess a lot of us, like, especially like, don't really think about that. Like, as like this conversation now is really like teaching me that, you know, we try to be something that we aren't really. And that's like the idea of just like, no, we don't have to be perfect is definitely something I haven't considered before because I feel like in school like that's like something that they really teach us like you have to be perfect and held to the standard and is there any like advice that you give someone to like try not to get caught up in perfection or imposter syndrome again I think part of the learning around that is understanding what it means to have a growth mindset that's kind of a buzzword these days but it's really true there's some research done on it that when we raise our kids to focus on the outcome, there's a, a very high degree of anxiety about getting the right outcome, which is where perfection comes from, is having the quote, right outcome, whatever that may be. This is also the source of imposter syndrome, is that if you don't know how to get there, or you don't know, you don't have confidence in that you can create that outcome, you are definitely in a position where you feel like you don't necessarily belong, or you don't get it, or whatever it might be. But a growth mindset is the focus on the process. So it would be the focus on how did I get to that answer, wrong or right? How did I get there? What process improvement do I need to create? What do I need to learn newly? And when children are brought up with a focus on the process, they are much more confident. They're much more resilient. They're less likely to be caught up in imposter syndrome, and they're much more likely to have a big bag of tools to carry around with them because they spend their time learning rather than worrying. Do you think they should be more prevalent and taught in like school systems and early education? Or do you think it's something that you just learn to grow with and adapt into adulthood? It's not an automatic adaptation. I think some people may go there just as a matter of their personality or their particular goals. A lot of times we're forced into it because of a requirement at work or something we want to accomplish. And we have to fail, 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 fail until we get there. And then when we look back, we can see that failure was actually the learning process. So sometimes we just learn through experience, but it's definitely not a given. Something you need to be aware of and and actually take initiative and have intention with paying attention to. So a good resource for Understanding this principle between fixed mindset and growth mindset is a 10-minute animated video from a talk that 
a researcher Carol Dweck did, and it's very enlightening. And I've I've copied you on the link, so maybe you can share that with your audience. But it's very helpful to watch. Previously, you mentioned the idea of failure, which I know a lot of people struggle with on a daily basis. And has there ever been a time where you have failed as a coach or any one of your professions? And what has that taught you? You know, as you mentioned, failure is one of the greatest tools one can use to like learn from an experience. So how has that impacted you and your work? Okay, so a big part of failure is defining it because everyone is going to define it a little bit differently. Is it is it that you gave up? Is it that the outcome wasn't what you thought it was going to be? Is it that you didn't meet an expectation? So there's all kinds of of definitions of what we as individuals would determine a failure. As a coach, I would say it's almost impossible to fail, which makes it a great profession. Yeah. Because my job is really just to listen and listen at an unusual level, so an extraordinary level. People generally don't ever have the opportunity to have 60 minutes to have somebody listen to them at a level that allows them to hear themselves. And when you hear yourself, you suddenly get clarity and understanding and self-awareness that allows you to make different choices and take different actions. So it's very, you know, my failure would probably be ignoring my client, which would be (laughs) a very intentional thing that I would have to do. Yeah. So, um, I, I would say, I, I, from a coaching perspective, the thing that aligns more with your question is, you know, I, uh, I learned to coach, got my coaching certificate in 2013, and I didn't start coaching college contracts until four years ago, maybe. And so in between that time, I was trying to figure out, like, who am I as a coach? Who do I coach? Who do I, you know, what, what population do I care about? What's my niche? What's my specialty? And I felt like no matter what I did, no matter how I tried, I failed and failed and failed. I could not figure it out. I could, you know, it was just a constant series of failures so much. So, you know, I had to have another job to keep myself afloat. And I think my learning there was listening to my deep intuition because the entire time my intuition was saying, it's not time yet. It's not time yet. You're trying, but it's not time yet. So I kept pushing something that wasn't ripe. And yes, I was still practicing, but it wasn't right for me to have a full-time work in it. And then literally the college stuff landed in my lap. I never would have even considered it as an option. And it threw a different route. It landed in my lap. And I was like, oh, wow. Well, maybe this is it. And then I just followed it and it was easy, like the easiest thing I'd ever done. And now I have a full-time practice in very short amount of time. So I I think some of it is just failure sometimes telling you something, not that necessarily that you're doing it wrong, but maybe there are other things you need to be paying attention to. That's amazing. Like what you're saying, the idea of failure, because I feel like a lot of people, um, especially me, myself, like failure is usually a negative that we don't really know how to overcome. So you see failure like, okay, I'm done. Time to quit. So you mentioned how this college situation, entering the college field to college students totally fell in your lap. And you mentioned that it was four years ago and obviously the pandemic hit. So how has that really impacted your work and how you connect your message to um, your clients? Uh, From a business standpoint, it didn't impact me at all, actually. I did very well during the pandemic. From a client standpoint, it hasn't changed too much, except that I am 
more aware of the possibility of mental health needs that need to be addressed. So I definitely, in certain programs, they're not as discriminant as Seton Hall's program, where for you guys, you need to be in a leadership program. And it's it's an intense program that uh, you're in at the Pacino Institute. And that's, you guys are a different population than say at another university where it's more of a general pop. And in that, I definitely see a lot of anxiety, depression. I think it's like, gosh, what is it now? One in four students think about suicide. So I have to be much more aware than usual of potential mental health needs. Do you see like a trend of a decline in mental health since the pandemic started and like coming out of it? It's, it's hard for me to do that because I don't really have great baseline data and I'm not collecting data. Anecdotally, I would say, well, not anecdotally for me, but statistically, yes, that's true in terms of just reading documents that people have studied that there's definitely a decline in mental health all, all the way around, but especially with college students, which I think is part of what makes that one in four statistic now true. For me, I think everyone is at risk for it pretty much. And so I'm always looking for it. But yes, I do find that there are a good percentage of particularly undergrad students that need additional help through the mental health system versus coaching. Seeing you able to adapt and really address those needs is something that I can see being really positive for everyone you're helping with so far and really something we need to see more of in like society today, be like focusing on that aspect. And what do you think is the most important aspect of like leadership that is most overlooked and most critical towards expanding one's capabilities and success? I like this question. Leadership is personal. It's not positional. And we often, I think, overlook the the idea that being a leader means leading oneself before anybody else. And therefore, we need to develop self-awareness. We need to have support. We need to have a coach. We need to understand who we are, where we're going, what our values are in order to align them with the things that have the most meaning for us. And we're not wasting our time being um, out of, what's the word? Hold on, I gotta think about it. (laughs) Out of alignment. (laughs) We don't wanna waste our time being out of alignment with our work. You know, this is a big reason why people have midlife crises because they've gone into something that wasn't aligned with their values. So if we can catch that early, we can have a better life. And when we have a better life, we're more confident. When we're more confident, we can lead from a place of empowerment. So I know on the idea of confidence, one thing that is really overlooked is the idea of a soft skill versus like a hard skill. And, you know, I'm sure as you know, as a soft skill is working on confidence and self-awareness and all that stuff. And how would you do, how would you define its importance over what a hard skill is? So it's interesting. I've heard some people in the leadership sort of world really hate the term soft skills. It doesn't really say anything to start with. Like, what is, what is that? When you use that term, it's very buzzwordy. It doesn't really have much meaning. So I tend to agree that it's a bit misleading. I think what we're really talking about are life skills. We can't really do anything in life without other people and without collaborating with other people. To be effective and highly creative in our lives, we really have to know how to work with other people, how to understand other people, how to communicate with other people, and and also how to love other people. It's not just about 
leading a profession, right? Or position, it's about leading your life. And that means your personal life as much as your professional life. So I think the skills here are really about learning the art of connection and mutually satisfying relationships as a foundation from which we can build a life that we love. Yeah. And I feel like in today's society, a lot of people focus less on, you know, finding a life to love and more of a life of like convenience in a sense. And do you think that I know with the pandemic, there's been a lot of uh, migration from like there's they call it the great resignation where people are actually switching jobs to find stuff that is like more healthier for them and that they like more. And it's been this kind of time of self-reflection. Do you think self-reflection is important in leadership as a whole and inspiring yourself in the workforce in your personal life? Uh, my dad, my dad always says, like, the thing about self-reflection is that you can't turn around fast enough to see yourself in the mirror. Uh, which basically means you need people to reflect things back to you. You need to be brave enough to say like, hey, can you give me some feedback? And not just any feedback, but what are two things that I could improve about this? And have others help you become a better person. Learn to have some resilience in terms of learning. And that's that growth mindset is building resiliency to someone saying like, you know what, that sucked, but here's some things you can do to improve it. Try again. A lot of us don't want to hear that we sucked. <laughs> it may not be in those words, yeah. but you know, we, we often have the voice in our head that says, gosh, you suck, you know, or you're terrible. <laughs> it usually is some rude voice in our head. that tells us. So the more we can actually just be with feedback of all kinds, and I have seen people who cannot take positive feedback, the more that we can be and live in that growth mindset and, and build confidence in ourselves. The fact that you bring up like the idea of taking criticism, that's something that's really emphasized in the Bucino Leadership Institute that I think is very like well put um that something they really focus on to really like improve us and as you said like make us self-aware because that's such a key aspect because if you're doing wrong if you're doing something wrong like not being able to catch yourself relying on others is so so important to really making sure you're the best possible version of yourself and um, I have a I have a I'm going to interrupt you for a second I have a good of course um, of course I have a really good example of this. So I skydive as a hobby. And one of the things that's really difficult about skydiving is that like, you can't see what you're doing, you know, <laughs> whether you're jumping out of a plane or you're in the skydiving tunnel. So there's an air tunnel that's vertical. It's called indoor skydiving. That's a less expensive way of learning how to fly your body. You can't see what you're doing. The only thing you have is that proprioception of feeling like, Oh, I think my leg is here and I think my arm is there and uh, I'm either getting a result or I'm not. And often we get frustrated because we're doing the same thing over and over and over again. And we can't really figure out how, how to make it different. And so, and I'm sure this is true in a lot of sports, we use a lot of video. So everything we do when we're learning is videotaped because you can get to the ground and, and we do this in some of the trainings that say like, what do you think went well? What do you think you can improve on? Where do you think you were struggling? And get all this interpretation of, of those things and then watch the video. And then often we watch the video and we're like, oh. <laughs> so that, re- that reflection back allows yeah. you to actually see what you're, what's not working. And so often that's how we use people. And that's what a coach does is gives you that reflection to see like, 
oh, my leg is constantly going in this position. I need to choose a different position. Feels like it's there, but it's not actually there. Yeah, no, that's so amazing. And do you think like having a hobby is like important for like personal growth and like getting out of like the business workspace? I mean, I, I chose to do skydiving to change me as a human being. So I'd say, yeah, if all leadership is personal, it's certainly, it was certainly a huge component of who I have become today. And, you know, I only started doing it. I'm 45 this month and I only started doing it when I was 40. So you can change at any age. You can teach old dogs new tricks. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's, that's crazy. You started like five years ago and like doing that now is like total drastic change, which I applaud you for. Like so many people aren't able to do that and being able to realize your own personal like awareness is something really amazing. If you could go back to your younger self and give yourself one piece of advice that you think would have totally changed things for you, what would it be and why? I would, I would tell myself to calm the F down uh, because I was definitely very high strung and worried about everything and concerned about how my life was going to turn out. And if I was making the right choices and definitely in the fixed mindset. So everything was intimidating. I I would say, calm down. Like it's, it's okay. It's all going to work out. And the more that you are present in the moment, the more you're going to feel better and actually see where you're going. The difference is you're going in a direction with your back to it, like your hands flailing the whole way while you're being sucked back into this journey. Like, Oh my God, what am I doing? I'm being low. And if you calm down, you can turn around and just see where you're going. It's not that it changes necessarily your direction. I think to a large extent, our paths are somewhat already laid out for us. And the more we flail against it, it's just the more suffering we create. But if we turn around and actually just be with it, there's a lot of freedom in that and more fun because you can relax. That's what I tell myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know like for me, myself and like a ton of college students, you definitely don't remember to relax, especially with midterms and finals coming up. So just like hearing that is and making that aware is really awesome. And thank you so much for speaking with me today and allowing us to interview for the Leadership Podcast. I really appreciate all the time that you've given us today. My pleasure. Thank you for letting me be here. On behalf of everyone at the Vasita Leadership Institute, I'd like to thank the podcast team, 89.5 FM WSOU for allowing us to use their facilities and you for listening. Follow us online at www.shu.edu backslash leadership on Instagram at Vecino Leaders and on Twitter at SHU Leadership. At Seton Hall, we make leaders better.